Elevate family, we want to say hello to those of you who are just guests with us. We want to say hello. We're very honored for you as well. Elevate family, I'm compelled to remind you that your tithes and offerings during this time are important. And so the giving link should be on the bottom of the screen. And you know who you are. So we're doing a series on stress to blessed. And uh, we are uh, dealing with a very strong topic this morning. Um, There's a lot of stress going on in the world. The levels of stress in our society are elevated. And I kind of was going in a different direction on this series. And uh, in in the beginning, I was going to do... So we moved it to September. So in September, I'm going to do a series on dreams and visions, such as the plan, to help you kind of construct a dream and help you construct a vision and a plan, but also understanding the dynamic of supernatural dreams. And a lot of you have had living dreams, and you've had dreams that are very vivid, but you have no clue what they mean. So our goal is to not just teach you about dreams, but we're going to have a class for two weeks after, uh, for two of the weeks after the teaching, and in in here in the main room, we're going to help you break down dreams. So if you ever had a dream, write it down. Write down the dream, right? If you haven't had a dream, ask the Lord to give you a dream. Ask the Lord to give you a vision or a dream of something. Write that down. When you come to the class, if you choose to do so, we'll help you break it down. But right now, my wife told me a couple weeks ago that, uh, that there, uh, there's a huge shortage of anti-anxiety medicine. Like, like, like 60 day delays for anti-anxiety to medicine that the, the doctors or the counselors and the, uh, and the psychiatrists cannot meet the demand. And so I was like, you're kidding. And I'm like, well, we need to talk about stress. Jesus has an answer to stress. And so this is true. Your body is created to have natural stress responses. Okay, so if you're in the wilderness and you hear bears growling, your body is stressing naturally to you know, make you aware that there's danger approaching. Uh, a friend of mine one time tells me the story of when he was, he, he used to, he's like a crazy outdoorsman, this dude. And uh, he would tell me about, like he'd go out in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of Lake Okeechobee, his motor breaks. He's being surrounded by gators. It's like he should write like adventure novels, my friend, right? He's like, yeah, I'm out there, man, in the boat. And the storm's coming. My motor's down. And he's like, the big lake gator starts circling my boat. That, that's a stressful situation. He told me another time he was hunting. I don't know where he was. He's a big hunter. And, you know, you put buck lure on yourself. So, ladies, if you don't know what that is, it's some pheromone, you know, to cause the deer to come look for you. Well, not only do deer come look for you, predators come look for you because they think you're a deer. And so he was telling me like he had all this buck lure on and he's out bow hunting, right? He doesn't even have a gun. He's bow hunting. And he, was, he told me he got surrounded by a pack of wolves at, at, uh, when the twilight was going on. And he was telling me they're all around me. And he said, and the alpha is looking at me trying to figure out what I am because, you know, you smell like a deer. You don't look like a deer. But those are some pretty str- I was like, you're kidding. He's like, no, man, I'm telling you, this is what happened to me. And so those, are, those, those types of body stresses are natural to, to warn you of danger. But there's something called chronic stress. Chronic stress is when your body never rests. It's just some- and we all have experienced chronic stress. It, you're just under stress all the time. You can't, you can't sleep. You get headaches. You know, you're, you're, you're just dealing with this issue all the time. You're always feeling this pressure. And that type of thing can be deadly. That's really one of the biggest things. A lot of times with people's health, it's not so much their physical health, although physical health is very important. It's the combination of physical health with chronic stress that creates the, that causes the, if you have any typical health problems, the chronic stress causes it, causes a tipping point. And so that's really what it is. Well, they say that, you know, hard work won't kill you, stress will. Well, when it comes to chronic stress, this is true. Um, Proverbs 14.30 says, peace of mind means leads to a healthy body or puts the body at rest. 
right? So peace of mind is very important to the way that our body is. And someone would put it this way. They'd say it's not about what you're eating as much as it is about what's eating you. And a lot of times, you know, we, we again, we, we put all this concentration on what we're putting into our bodies and, and we should, but we should also be aware of what we're putting into our souls. And we should also be aware and help to start to deal with the stuff that's eating us, the stresses that are in our lives. And so the seven top stresses, anybody want to know, you could probably name them without me even having to tell them, at least the top three. Um, the, first, the first stress is, uh, is uncertainty, right? People are stressed out and, and freaked out over uncertainty. That is the number one cause of stress. Uncertain about what? Uncertain about your future, uncertain about where, where, where things are going, just not knowing. Where am I going to get more, you know, people who've lost their job, am I going to get another job? What does my future look like? I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. So uncertainty, which is things beyond your control, causes a tremendous amount of stress. We need to, one of the things that has to happen in order for health to come is you have to acknowledge the problem, right? If we can acknowledge the problem, then we can begin to deal with the problem. So we begin to acknowledge that these are, these are things that take place in our lives. And a lot of times, especially men, I'd like to speak to the men in the audience for a second. I'd like to speak to all the men out there. Men, a lot of times, don't, aren't as aware of their emotions or what they're dealing with or feeling as much as women are. I don't know if you're with me on that. You know, women can articulate their feelings a lot more than men. We feel things, but we, can't, we don't know what we're feeling. And we don't know why we're feeling. We don't really even have a language for the emotions that we're feeling. We don't, it's just not in our makeup. Women tend to articulate it way more. I had three emotions. I had mad, sad, and glad. That was pretty much my three emotions when I got married, right? But I've added to that since I've been married. My, my list of emotions has increased, as any good husband's list should. But, um, so, but we don't oftentimes understand the way that we're feeling. So if we can understand where the stress is coming from, we can start to deal with it. So when you're feeling stress, one of the stressors is uncertain future. Another stress is hurrying, time constraints, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Anybody? We're going back to school. That's a huge thing because there's no rhythm. Been out of rhythm, right? Hurrying, hurrying, hurrying. Got to get the kids ready for school. Got to get the kids ready. We were trying to get out of the house this morning. We have our grandson with us. And I was just talking to Sherry. I said, yeah, I remember when the, we would go to leave and we'd have the kids and something would happen, right? Well, lo and behold, Rowan like loaded his diaper right as we were walking out the door. And I was like, and she's like, it just happened, Kevin. So I was like, oh, great. So, you know, hurrying and time constraints, things that are in your way, th- those, those types of things where you got to be somewhere at a certain time or you have a deadline, that creates a lot of stress. And I don't think we got to go very far on this one, traffic. I don't even think I need to explain that. You're talking about stress? Oh, my gosh. Right? Road rage. We, we, we came up with a whole new term because of stress that comes from traffic. Road rage. You know, people carrying guns in their car because they're stuck in traffic. I mean, what is that all about? So the other thing that causes a lot of stress is unresolved conflict. Can I get a witness? Right? Don't, let's, yeah. Unresolved conflict causes stress. And then the fifth thing that causes stress is options. So we stress about making the right decisions. And we have a ton of options in our world today. Another thing that causes stress is loss. Just pick a, pick, a, pick a category. Loss in some category of your life produces stress. And this is a pretty new one. Privacy. People stress about privacy. We live in a world, um, 1984. I don't know if you know the book, but Big Brother is watching you. I mean, we have Big Brother now more than ever. Everything's watched. Your data's, your data's mined. Your data's collected. You know, you go online, you look for shoes, and all of a sudden now every time you, 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 you search something, shoe ads are popping up everywhere. Like, how do they know I want shoes? You know, how, how did they know that? 
my computer's smart. My, my phone is smart. And so there's a lot of stress now about people's privacy and the loss of privacy and the loss of data. Um, so there's going to be some keys. We're going to talk about keys for lower stress, keys to bring your stress levels down. Does the Bible have an answer? 100% the Bible has an answer. Everything in Scripture, there's not an area of our lives that the Bible does not address. There's not an area of our life that the God doesn't have an answer for. He doesn't have a direction for. He's got an answer for everything. He's the one who created us. The Bible says that in all points Jesus was tempted as we were, without, but without sin. So Jesus understands stress. He understands financial difficulties. He understands relational conflicts. Everything that we've experienced as a human, Christ has experienced for us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have not need of not, I have everything I need. This is what David understood. There's a guy, you want to talk about stress? Have you ever read the life of David? I mean, let's just get real and raw. Like we make these guys out to be heroes, right? Like Tom Brady, he wins every game, right? He, he, he doesn't lose. Like David's running around with all these Super Bowl rings. That's not the story of this guy's life at all. I mean, he was forgotten by his father, left out in the cold. His dad had a bunch of sons, and he, he goes, oh, yeah, there's David. How'd you like to be that one? Right? Bring the whole family together. The prophet's coming over, and he's going to pick one of your kids to be king. And David wasn't even in the room. And it's, Samuel's looking at him going, uh, do you have any more kids? Is there any more sons? And the dad's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. There's David. Forgotten by his father. Left to... All the other sons were in the house or nearby. David wasn't. David was outcast. David was forgotten by his father. Not remembered by his father. We like to think, oh, King David. Oh, what a wonderful guy. The guy was anointed king. Took him almost... He was on the run for almost 13 years. 13 years of his life, he was violently pursued by a man who wanted to kill him. Lost everything. Hiding in caves. We just celebrate David like the glorious dancer before the Lord. David was a worshiper. Really? Have you, you know, this guy was under a lot of stress. Everyone around him abandoned him. Everyone around him betrayed him. Everyone. Right? And if you look at the life of David, he had highs, he had lows, he had breaking points. David, like you, because he's human, was lost his control at times. And so he understood stress. He understood pressure. David is a guy who passed, who passed the test of lack, but failed in the test of abundance. So a lot of Christians don't understand. There's not, we think that God tests us in order to give us more. He tests you in the lack, but he also tests you in abundance. There's a test in faithfulness in abundance. A lot of us, we, we can pass that test of lack. We can endure that. We can believe God for more, but very few can pass the test of faithfulness in abundance. Very few. Very few. David would write these psalms, not because he's a poet. David out in, the, out, in the, out in the woods. Oh, David's just out there strumming on his harp, making beautiful song and beautiful lyric to, to God. The reason that these words are alive to us is because they're experiential. David didn't write them like in some poetic epiphany, you know. David's out there, oh, let me just have a revelation. The Lord is my shepherd. David's writing it from experience. That's why the Psalms are alive. They're not written as an observer. They're written through an experience that he had, a reality. That's why they resonate with us. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need of. The first key to stress relief is becoming and developing a dependent relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You are created to be dependent. And if you're aware of this, We are, in America, we celebrate independence. That is not the created design. 
Man was created to be codependent upon the Lord. That's why we're so easily codependent. I think there'd be a revolution in psychology if we would understand and stop fighting codependency and redirect it. We act like codependency is a bad thing. When we're built by codependency, we are created to be codependent. But man without God becomes codependent on substances, situations, circumstances. Our codependency finds a foreign, a foreign object and fixates on it because of the void. But you were created to be codependent upon the Lord. In Him we live, move, and have our bringing. That's codependency. Right? As a deer pants for the water, so my song's after you. That's codependency. You know, that's obsessive. Lord, I call on you by night and by day. That's codependency. You're created for codependency. You know, and so get over yourself. Stop judging yourself and judging others because of codependency. What if we use codependency as a witnessing tool rather than some condemnation? You just need to be independent. No, you don't. That's not gospel. That's American country. That's our country. We train, you know, like, like even if we, we shifted our parenting and tried to get our kids to be less independent and more codependent upon the Lord in everything, be codependent upon the Lord in everything. Don't train your kid to be independent. Teach him to be codependent upon Jesus. Now let's start a revolution. We're codependent upon the Lord and interdependent upon each other. We need each other. Warts and all. Good, bad, and ugly. Right? Where there are people, there are problems. Right? Bible says where there are no oxen, the stables are clean. But much can be gained with the strength of an ox. If you want a clean life, just get all the people out of it. You'll have a clean, you'll have nothing left but you. Happy day. Your stables will be clean. But you won't get very far. You won't gain very much. Where there are no oxen, the stables are pure and clean. But much is gained by the strength of an ox. We need one another. We need each other. You're created to be codependent. You're created to be independent. David understood this. The Lord is my dependency. I depend upon him. You have to develop it. He's a shepherd. He leads in everything. That's what David is saying. Sheep don't lead themselves. Sheep are always looking at the shepherd to lead them somewhere. It's a dependent relationship the sheep have. Beady little eyes, little peg legs, dirty back ends. Falling over all the time. Buck teeth. They can't eat solid food. That's sheep. Aren't, aren't we sheep, Pastor? Isn't, yeah, right? Get the picture? Right? Beady little eyes. Can't see far. Peg legs always falling over. Dirty rear ends. Can't eat solid food. Right? <laughs> yeah. But we're dependent upon our shepherd to lead us. One of the things you can do is a quality decision. Stop looking to other sources. We look to all these other sources and we go, well, it looks like all we can do is pray. Has it come to that? All we can do is pray. What if it was a communal relationship, developing an intuitive relationship with the Lord and the one who owns you? My sheep hear my voice. We learn his word. We learn his spirit. We learn how to walk and move with him. And we do nothing without him. I was just sharing this with a guy and he's like, what does that mean? And when you tell me that, I just told him, I said, you, you need to stop acting this way and need to do this. He said, well, what does that mean? Do I ask God where to go to eat? I'm like, no, that's not what it, that, you know, yeah. Holy Spirit, should I go to Chili's this afternoon? No, man. You know, that's not, that's not it. It's just, it's where you want to be reactive. That's where you pull back. If you're going to make a major decision or if you have a reactive nature, you draw back out of that reactiveness and then you move forward. You move forward with him, with peace, with guidance. 
David said, I look to him. He's everything. We put our security in things that we can lose. Our job, our spouse, our health, our reputation, our money, all of those things can be easily lost. When you give your life to Jesus and you come into a personal relationship with Christ, that relationship cannot be lost. I'm going to let that marinate. That relationship cannot be lost. Now let me say this. That relationship can be neglected. That relationship can go undeveloped, which is where most believers are. Most believers, their relationship, they begin a relationship with Christ being born of the Spirit. They begin to try to fulfill their, the faith, or even if they even walk in faith, through natural means. I just quoted a statistic before we went live. Church attendance is down 82% as of August 1st. 82% of people who used to come to church across the board are no longer coming. And out of that 82%, 50%, so 82%, 12 or 12 are still there, 82 are like, we're not doing, we don't know what we're doing. So we take that 82 and we divide it in half. Half of that 82 are watching virtually. Good for you. The other half are, are, the other half are not attending any services whatsoever. Zero. What is that? If you have a personal relationship with Christ, yet you've neglected it. Who's neglecting it? Is Jesus neglecting it or are you neglecting it? Who's not developing it? Is, you, is Jesus not developing it or are you not developing it? You're called to develop your faith. A lot of believers, I've met them many times over the years. They gave their life to Christ 20 years ago, but their lives remain unchanged. Whose problem is that? We have the living gospel. We have the power of the living God. We are invited into a relationship with him to the depth of our willingness we can go. As far into him and as far experientially as we want to go into realms undiscovered, we can go. We can go. We're invited completely and wholly. And, because we, and the only reason we don't go there is because we don't want to go there. The relationship with Jesus is still there. You may have neglected it. It's, today's the day. You know, if you've neglected your faith and you're out there and you say, man, I'm just, you know, COVID's made me look at Jesus again. Good for you. That's a good move. You need to not develop. You need to no longer neglect your faith. You need to no longer let your faith lie dormant and lie, let it lie undeveloped. It's a glorious gospel. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he can't deny himself. Just because you're faithless doesn't mean he is. Just because you didn't develop that relationship doesn't mean he's not wanting to develop that relationship. Just because you've neglected your relationship with Jesus doesn't mean he ne- he's doesn't want it. It's amazing what will happen. Is you, people, Christians load all this stuff upon themselves and they go, oh, I haven't done everything the right way. Jesus isn't looking at that and saying, oh, don't come to me because you've not done everything correct. He says, come to me as you are. Just as you are. It's not about you, it's about him. And what believers are amazed at, and even those who've neglected their faith, is they're amazed at how quickly the Lord meets you without judgment. Isn't it amazing? Come on, let's just get a witness here, right? How many times have we turned away? How many times have we walked away and thinking, he doesn't want anything to do with me anymore? And then you turn to him and immediately he comes with a blessing. Immediately he comes with his presence. Because it's not about works of righteousness. It's not about your externals. That has nothing to do with it. Children are a great example. Just because a kid makes a poopy diaper, does that mean moms should give up on them? Right? Your kid's dropping it in their pants for three, four, five years. Well, you're not my kid anymore. When are you going to learn? Right? 
it's just as parents would never do that to their own child. And every time their child looks at them, they would reach for them as well. God is, God is far surpassing that. He's beyond that. Even if, if we being evil do that, how much more will he, not, will he be kind to us? Ephesians 2.18 says, Through Christ we have access with one spirit to the Father. So therefore we are no longer strangers or outsiders. You have an open invitational relationship with Jesus. You can neglect it or you can refuse to develop it. But you, nonetheless, that invitation is there. And I believe and I would call you and I would tell some of you out there that you need to, you, to, this is the year. This is the year. You need to develop yourself. You need to do what you've never done. If you want what you've never had, you need to do what you've never done. You want the power of God. You want the kingdom. You want God's presence and active and oriented in all, all areas of your life. Then you need to start doing the things that you've never done. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, sons and daughters, let's have boldness. Come boldly into the holiest place, which is the place of intimacy, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, which he consecrated through us, through the veil. Come boldly. You can come to the Lord anytime. You can call upon the Lord anytime. The Lord will provide for you if you look to him. We have to have confidence that we have access to him. If you're in Christ and you've confessed Jesus as Lord, you have access to him right now. Right now. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. It has nothing to do with that. You have access to him right now. How many times I've been in bad places? This is my journey. I had to learn him. I was taught about a God who I, I had a perspective. I had a God in my own image. Most Christians, whether they know it or not, they break the second commandment. They perceive God to be in their own image. They create him in a religious construct. They create him or think about him or believe that he is someone that he is not. Well, I believe and I think Christians are, Christians are probably that, that command alone. You wanna, we're going to go by Ten Commandments? Look no further than that. Is God who he says he is? Or have you created him in your own image? And the way that we know him and we learn him is by experiencing him and walking it out with him. I've done so many foolish things. So many foolish things when I was younger. And I would think that God would reject me. I would think that God wanted nothing to do with me. And every single time when I would come back to him, he was right there, open arms. And he'd go, Lord, what about that? And he's like, what about that? Do you want to do anything about that? You know, I, I thought you liked doing that, Kevin. As long, if you want to do something about that, then I will. And it's not that he's accepting it. God cannot move past your choices. You understand that? His love for you is not, re- not predicated upon your choices. Your choices as a believer, if you are born again, your choices disqualify your destiny, but they don't disqualify your salvation or your position in Christ. They don't. Your child is born, that child's a son. Whether you want him to be or not, that child is forever your son. That child is forever your daughter. That child belongs to you. Never, No one can ever take that away from you. That child is genetically yours. When you come to Christ, you are genetically born of the kingdom of God. This is what born again means. This is not conversion by the intellect. This is conversion by the heart, conversion by the spirit. The presence of the Lord comes into you, Christ comes into you, and you are genetically converted, supernaturally, spiritually converted, now and forever his child. You can choose differently. You can make a mess of your life. You can blow it up, you know, (laughs) because you don't know him. When you know him and then you begin to know how much he loves you and how much he cares for you, you, the love of Christ begins to compel you. And then it becomes a place where... I can't, go any, I can't do any wrong. Jesus loves me on my worst day. I tell you guys that. I always tell you that. Let's do it right now. Just put your hand on your heart. Come on. Yeah, just, you, 
Put your hand over your heart and just say this. Jesus loves me on my worst day. Say this. Jesus is for me even when I'm against me. (laughs) Tell yourself that every day. Tell yourself that. Make that a part of your life. It'll start changing the way that you think. God's for you. Nobody may like you, but Jesus likes you. People may not be glad to see you. Jesus is always glad to see you. Always. Always and forever. He's glad to see you. He's for you when you're against him. He who did not spare his son, but gave himself, but gave him up for us. How will he not also freely give us all things? There's a memory verse for you for this series. 832 Romans. The one who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us. How will he not now freely give us all things? What's all things? All things. You can look that up in the Greek and you know what it means? All things. <laughs> They're activation points. How we experience God. This is important, Right? There are activation points in how we begin to call the Lord our shepherd. Worship is one aspect of that. Prayer is another aspect of that. Adoration is an aspect of that. Repentance and obedience. Two forgotten words in the American church. Repentance and obedience. Worship. Worship is the ascribing of worth. Lord, you are worth it. You are worth it. This is what happens in worship, right? So this is what we do. This is why singing is important. And if you miss the singing, you need to start make, creating a margin to come and get into the singing. We do it in church because we're ascribing worth and value to the Lord. We ascribe worth and value. And then what happens is there's an exchange. He begins to ascribe worth and value back to you. That's what worship is. The traveling of value. We travel value unto Him. And it's an amazing. As you empty yourself of you, He travels value back to you. And so there's the presence that you sense. God is honoring you with value. God is honoring you with worth. God is telling you and letting His presence come over you. Telling you that you love Him because you are honoring Him. He is honoring you. That's what worship is. Adoration is different. Adoration is oftentimes there's no direct reaction to it. It's just adoration. I just take my position and I bring you adoration. I bring you honor that is due your name. It's a different exchange. Adoration is necessary. These are the ways that we interact with God. If we neglect worship, we're neglecting a huge piece of interaction. If we neglect adoration, we're going to say, well, what does God need? God needs to be adored and God needs to worship. You think like a man. I've had people tell me that. Is God a narcissist that he has to be worshipped? Like you think like a man. You think he needs worship? He's surrounded by angels who by day and by night, countless angels that sing him songs, worship and adoration, sing him praises, the lights, the Bible says the stars sing in his presence, the grass cries out. You think he needs you to worship him? He doesn't need you to worship him, but you need to worship him because in worshiping him, you empty yourself of you. And that's the problem. Most people are so full of themselves. You're so full of you. It's the whole point of worship. Empty you. Get rid of you. All that I am, Lord. I worship you. I open my mouth. I make a joyful noise. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but I'm going to make a joyful noise. Again, you want to learn from David? David would say, awake my soul. Don't you sleep. Wake up. So it would do Christians well that wake their souls up and make you worship. Make yourself worship. You don't feel like it? Who does? It's a discipline. A discipline that becomes a delight, that becomes a joy. You make yourself worship. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. Make yourself. 
I don't want people looking at me. Who cares? Who cares? Jesus is looking. I'm not talking about dancing and flipping around the room. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking necessarily an external reaction, but there should at least be an an internal reaction. There should at least be an internal exchange. You know, whether you're leaping chairs or not, I mean, whatever. That, you know, I know I've seen guys leap in chairs and spit, but they're not worshiping. They're calling attention to themselves, which is exactly the same problem. So whether you do it in intimacy or whether you do it openly, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing it. It's the heart exchange that's the most important thing. Worship, adoration, prayer, and repentance and obedience. A lot of people have downcast weight upon their lives because there are direct areas of their lives that they refuse to give up. David said, when I hid my sin from you, my body was crushed. When I hid my sin from you, my body was weighted down and could not move. Hello? Oh, Lord, just lift the oppression off my life and lift the downcast off my life. And he's going to say, yeah, okay. When you repent, when you return to me and stop doing it, you have an open door that allows that to come in. God's not afflicting you, but the enemy will. You give the devil a right, he's going to take it. He's going to take it. Yeah. You open a door through open disobedience and denial of God's, God's correction. You open that door and the enemy's going to come in. He always will. And how do you get him out? You repent. You admit it and quit it and close the door. Go another way. Obedience is another one. God's told a lot of people different things and they've never, they don't, they've never done it. They sit on their laurels. They've never obeyed the very simple things. And there's, again, a weight that's on their life or there seems like their life can't move or they feel all the stress upon their lives and they don't know why things don't open up because there are areas of your life that there's no obedience. There's no obedience. <laughs> You're supposed to give, Christian. Bring the tithes into the storehouse that there would be meat in my house. Improve me, says the Lord. If I will not pour you out, open the window of heaven. Heaven has windows? Yes, it does. Heaven has doors and windows. Are they literal doors and windows? I don't know, but that's how the prophets would see it. When the prophets would see it, they would see it as a window. They would see it as a door. The Bible says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your increase. Then, then your barns will burst forth with plenty. Then your vats will overflow with new wine. Well, I'll honor the Lord when my barns burst forth with plenty and my vats overflow with new wine. You'll never honor him. You honor the Lord before the increase. You sow the seed before the increase. It's obedience. You say, I don't have to. That's right. You don't have to. You're not mandated in the New Testament. You get to. But it is an act of obedience. Christians wonder why their finances are ravaged because there's no obedience. They wonder why their marriages are ravaged. There's no obedience. Somewhere there's a disobedience. Somewhere there's something that's there that God has been involved in. It's not what I'm telling you to do. It's what the Spirit of God is telling you to do. There are certain things that are literal that we all should know. They're basics. And then there are other things that are interpersonal to you. God will put a command, a weight, a direction on your life that's interpersonal to you. And he will require you to obey it. A mandate. Puts a mandate on you. Not because it's a burden you can't carry. Because it's a destiny he wants to emerge from your life. A lot of people run from it. Run from it. Here's Isaiah. I quoted it last week. I may as well put it on the screen. I referenced it. In returning, and be, in returning, you will be saved. Coming back to me, the Lord says, you're not only going to be saved. If you come to me, Jesus says, I'll, you'll be saved. Saved from what? All the crap that you're dealing with. Especially the internal stuff and the judgment of sin. Return to me and you'll be saved. Not only if you return to me, will you be saved? You'll find rest. 
In quietness and confidence, I'll be your strength. So coming back to me, interacting with me, being codependent with me will enable my confidence and my strength to be your strength. But you said what? I will not. (laughs) The sum total of man's life is right here. I'm not going to do it. No, Lord. Some of you, God's been calling you. You've heard the gospel. You know you need to be born again. You know you need to be saved. And you go, I won't. I won't. Other Christians sit at home with their arms folded going, I don't need the church. Who told you that? You know you do. Your your pride sits upon your throne and you exalt your thinking above the Lord's ways. That's a problem. That's a problem. When you exalt your thinking above the Lord's ways, that's a problem. And most Christians justify their thinking in light of what God would directly say to them. They hold their thinking up as an idol. It's called intellectual idolatry. The idolatry of the mind. You worship at the throne of your thinking. You worship at the throne of your ways. needs to be repentance. I have no good ideas except Jesus. Let me help you out. Let me help you. Lord, every idea I have had that has been apart from you, I renounce it. Every idea that I have had that is not in your ways, I repent. I don't have a good idea, Jesus. You are the only good idea I have. That'll set a lot of people free. Story of man's life. I will not. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to make it up my way. Well, then go ahead. That's what the Lord says. Go ahead. Go right ahead. You think he fights this? He doesn't fight it at all. This is crazy. We think Jesus is going to battle. If I want to leave, then Jesus is going to try to keep me out the door. No, he won't. He'll go right there's the door. Peter, you want to go? 350 people left Jesus in one day off of one message. They just got up and left. 12 guys standing with him. He looks at them and goes, you guys want to go too? He didn't beg anybody to stay. He didn't beg anybody to come back. He said, if you follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. That's the message that he began with. He didn't begin with a story about fishing with his grandpappy. That's not how he talked. He came right at him. And said, all of you that are following me, I want you to know what it looks like to follow me. You who claim me as Lord, I want you to know what this looks like. And the majority of them left him. They said, who can keep this commandment? Who can do this? What, deny yourself? Be dependent upon him? It's not that difficult. And you said, no, I will flee. And the Lord says, therefore, you shall flee. Away you go. I'm going to get in my car and drive. I'm going to move to another state. The Lord says, but your problems will follow you. You think you're moving away is going to solve your problems? I will flee. The Lord says, but what pursues you will be faster than you. It's amazing. I'm going to move to Arizona. You get to Arizona and your problems are already there waiting for you. You're like, how's this happening? (laughs) You're trying to flee and your problems are already there waiting for you because they're faster than you. Those who pursue you will be swifter and you will be left as a pole standing on a mountain as a banner waving. What he's talking about is being exposed. Running from me, hiding from me, living a life apart from me and doing your own thing is only going to lead you to be vulnerable. It's only going to leave you to be open and exposed. That's the end result of that choice. That's what he's saying. But he doesn't keep you from it. That's the amazing thing. God will say this is the end result of the choice, but I'm not going to keep you from it. It says, but the Lord will be gracious to you. Well, don't you love him? We can be arrogant idiots. We can deny him and shake our fist at him and do all kinds of crazy things and run away from him. And the Lord says, but I will be gracious to you. 
in spite of you, I'm going to be gracious to you. Man, somebody should praise Jesus for that, man. I mean, he's gracious to us in spite of ourselves. And he will be exalted and he will have mercy on you. What he's saying is, is I'm going to be gracious to you and you're going to give gratitude to me because you're going to see a part of me that you've never seen before and you're going to exalt me in a new way. You're going to know something about me that you never knew before. You're going to experience my grace in spite of your decisions. You're going to experience my grace in spite of your choices. And you're going to exalt me in a different way. You're going to know me in a different way. And I will have mercy on you. For I am the God of justice. In other words, I use my power rightly. He chooses to use his power upon you in a loving way. Blessed are those who look to the Lord, who lay hold of him and wait on him. Blessed. We're going to do just a real simple prayer. My plan was is to... I started as I was outlining this. I thought, well, this doesn't mean anything unless we, I kind of, hopefully, my goal here, the goal of praying this prayer with you guys is to try to help you to activate the stuff that I just kind of summarized right there. So this is a simple prayer about asking Jesus as your shepherd. So this is just something because people go, how do I acknowledge the Lord in all things? What does that look like? How do I work? What do I, what do, I do? Well, I'm just going to read this simple prayer. Just, just pray it with me. If you're home, just pray it. This is just in the middle of the message. I know, I know. Just go with it. Just say this. Jesus, I choose to acknowledge you as my shepherd in everything. You are everything. I release. Now, here's an interact. This is an activation. This is a faith activation. You're going to release. This is, you're just going to let it all come off you. So as we say this, say this. I release my stress. I release my worry. And I release my fear to you. Now hold the chair. I repent for any and all willful disobedience against you. I acknowledge you as the one and only person capable of guiding my life. I want you to say this. My emotions are real, but you are greater. I will not live by emotion. I choose to live by faith. I choose to trust that you are good, that you are willing, that you are able. And I acknowledge you as the one who guides my life right now. Now we're going to receive. We release. Now we're going to receive. Same exercise. We're going to receive right now. I receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So just let him come over you. Just begin to feel the power of the Spirit of God come upon you. I receive the power of the Spirit. And I receive the provision that is necessary. Come on, say that with me. I receive the provision that is necessary. You need prov- Anybody need provision? I got three people over here. Say it. I receive the provision that is necessary. Come on, now you're going to say this. I receive the wisdom that is necessary. The courage that is necessary. And the opportunities that are necessary to move me forward. In Jesus' name. It's a simple prayer of like just acknowledgement and interaction that the Lord is my shepherd and just acknowledging him. Second thing that you need to do beyond the Lord as your shepherd is obey God's instructions about rest. There's a command in the Bible about Sabbath. We all know it, right? Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. What we think about Sabbath, we all sit around on the couch and stare at each other all day, just like this, all day long. What are we supposed to do? Well, it's Sabbath. We're not supposed to do anything. We're just going to sit there and stare at each other. The Hasidic Jews took it so far as they won't even turn their lights on. Is that, you think that's what Jesus meant? I knew someone, she was a, uh, uh, worked for Hasidic Jews. 
and she would work for them on Sabbath, and she would turn the light. One of her jobs was to turn the lights on, because they wouldn't even turn the lights on. That's how far extreme that we're supposed to do. No, we're not supposed to do anything. That's not what he meant. The idea is no common work. So when he says Sabbath, he's saying no common work. He's not just saying, "Hey, let's all stare at the wall and watch paint dry." That's not what he's saying. The Bible's rest from all of your common work. This is not common work. Hanging out with your wife is not common work. Going to the park with your kids is not common work. You don't do that every day, do you? You're not doing that 40 hours a week, right? So what God is telling you is do, some, do, do not do your common work on the Sabbath. That's what he's saying. Put the cell phone down, you know, turn the internet off. <laughs> we can all go, ouch, when we say that, because it's true. Rest from your common work. What's the point? To refresh your spirit, recharge your emotions, and rest your body. What you're doing here this morning is exactly that. You're refreshing your spirit. You're going to come out of this place. You're going to be refreshed. You're watching this message. You're going to be refreshed. How do I know? Because the Holy Spirit does the work, not me. The power of the Lord is doing the work. He's going to refresh you. You're going to feel recharged. You're going to feel hopeful. You're going to experience that in God's presence. And then you can have rest with your body. Jesus rested. Jesus slept. Jesus withdrew. Jesus hung out with friends and family. He went to Mary and Martha's house. He used to hang out there. It was kind of his hangout place. He just would go there and hang out for no particular reason. He would rest. He would draw away from the crowds. He took time, and he honored that part. And you have to tell yourself that there's got to be a period. You've got to create a margin in your life where there's no common work. No common work. And that, what, that leads to this next one. Surround yourself with positive and inspiring things. Right? Negativity doesn't do anything good. I'm a realist. I like to have an open mind. Well, you should close some of it or your brain's going to fall out if you're that open. Negativity doesn't do anything but produce negativity. Everything produces after its own kind. What you put into your heart, guard your heart, for out of your, out of your heart comes the issues of life. What you put in is what's going to come out of you. Some of you need to surround yourself with positive energy. Not energy, but positive uh, people, positive places, positive things. Things that motivate you, things that inspire you. Maybe it's something beautiful. We can't go there now, but Sherry used to go to want to go, want me to take her to Fairchild Gardens. Okay? Fairchild Tropical Gardens. All the women are going. All the men are doing the same thing I did. Why? Right? I was like, why? You want me to take you to Fairchild and we just go walk around Fairchild? Looking at plants, looking at trees, watching birds, but fly around. And, and I'd think, okay, all right. And then she'd get in the car and she'd go, I had such a nice time today. And I'm like, really? Let me note that. Didn't cost me anything. All it cost me was a little bit of attention in taking her there, right? But she, she felt revived and refreshed from beauty. Didn't do much for me. I mean, I could admire the tree that they brought over from Africa in 1902 or something like that. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know? It's like, oh, look at how the, the, the whatever grows and the bloom. And I'm like, okay. But that's something that she enjoys. She likes to surround herself with beauty. We have an orchid collection at my house. You think I'm kidding. I have probably 120 orchids. We've ended up, this guy was moving, to, moving away. And Sherry goes, I want to go see this orchid collection. I'm, this guy's selling an orchid. She's like, I probably can't afford it, but I really want to buy this guy's orchid. He had like a big time collection, and, uh, but he was just wanting to get rid of it. And, um, and I'm like looking at it, and I'm like, and, and I'm, I wasn't even interested until he told me how much he wanted for it. And there was like four people waiting to buy it, but we were the first people there. And I knew how much my wife loved orchids. And I'm like, how much do you want for these? 
He told me, I'm like, really? I mean, because I was way off. I thought he wanted a lot more, and he didn't want anywhere near that, you know? He just said, you know, I just want somebody who's going to value them. And I'm like, we're buying it. She was like, we're going to buy them. I'm like, I'm buying all of them. Buying all of them. So I have a house surrounded by 127 orchids. Why? Why? Because my wife likes orchids. My wife likes beauty. I have a one-eyed cat that walks with a limp. Why would you have that? Because Sherry likes the cat. You understand? <laughs> Bonnie. Wherever Bonnie goes, I, I, we named her after a pirate. I looked up online, how do I find, what, is, were there any female pirates? You know, because she's got one eye. You know, we tell everybody she got in a fight with a coon. I mean, I don't know if that actually happened, but it makes for a good story. Right? So, you know, I looked up and there was a female pirate named Bonnie. So I'm like, she's Bonnie. Her name is Bonnie. There was another cat running around for a while. And the only cat that Bonnie would let eat out of her tray was another cat that didn't have a tail. And we named him Bob. So we had Bobcat and we have, uh, yeah, we haven't seen Bob lately, but Bob was the only one that she would let eat out of the tray. And, you know, I think it's like some affinity with like, you know, I'm injured, you're injured, hey, have some food, you know, kind of thing. We can bond. You, you guys are healthy. Go get your own. Yeah, go hunt, go forage. This cat, yeah, you can come and eat. But, you know, surround yourself with beauty. Some people like art. Some people like comedy. Some people like music, just as long as it's positive and inspiring. A hobby or an activity. Some of us, we need to laugh. Proverbs 17, 22. Christians are like, I haven't laughed in 20 years. Nothing funny about the gospel, pastor. Really? Laughter does the heart good like a medicine. But a downcast spirit dries out the bones. Need to laugh. Find something that makes you, makes you laugh. Find something that's funny. Find joy. Go to the park with the kids. Just watch them run around. I have grandkids now, so it's, the pressure is not the same. Right? My daughter can take them home, and I'm like, oh, okay. But every little thing he does, I enjoy it. Right? Because he's my grandchild. You know, and I take, just watching him play. I take joy in that. Find something that's joyful. Somebody told me one time, when you're doing that, you're not wasting time. You're stewarding it. I'm not telling you to sit around for 60 hours and, you know, watch orchids grow or whatever. I'm, but I'm telling you, like, but you need to take a margin out of your life that, that's a stewardship of time where you enjoy beauty. You enjoy something that you like, right? You share that experience. Sometimes it's friendships, whatever it may be. Positive people. Iron sharpens iron. Psalm 1. You want to talk about positive people? Blessed are those who don't hang out with wicked people, nor go where the sinners are doing, no, go where the sinners go. Or hang out and do what evil people do. Self-centered, narcissistic, negative people. Consumers, not communers, who value nothing more than themselves. That's what the Bible is equating here. But they love the Lord's ways and they think about His teachings day and night. Those people are strong. Those people are planted like a tree. Those people will produce fruit in their season. Those people, their tree will not die. And everything they do will succeed. Fourth thing is take, take one day at a time. This is a good one for a lot of us is that you can't control tomorrow, but you can control your choices and your attitudes today. You can't control tomorrow. I wish, that I, I, wish I could control a year, don't you? Don't you wish we could like control 2020 for the, rest, the last five months or whatever, four months of the year, and we could control that? And we can go, okay, it was really bad in the beginning, but let's turn it all around. We can't. The only thing we can do, we can't even control the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now. The only thing that we can control is our attitude and we can control our choices in the now. That's all we can do. You can't handle the stresses. 
You can't, ha- you can't control what's about to come or what's coming or what's, what, what's unknown, but you can choose to be positive. You can choose to be encouraged. You can choose to be hopeful. We need to develop a language of hope. There has to be a language of hope. You have to, you, whether you give that language to yourself or you give it to others or you put yourself in a place where there's positively charged people around you, we have to develop a language of hope. The Bible says David did what? He encouraged himself where? In the Lord, right? You guys know the verse, right? David encouraged himself. When there was no one to encourage him, he encouraged himself. David would go to the mirror and say, man, the revolution is on. God still loves you. It's not over. Keep your head up. Good things are happening. David encouraged himself. So if no one will encourage you, encourage yourself. I would encourage you to be, I would encourage you to be an encourager. It's actually a gift of the Spirit. It's exhortation. The gift of exhortation. Say, so I don't have the gift of exhortation. Sure you do. Just reach for it. Determine that you're going to encourage someone. And the Bible says in encouraging others, you yourself are encouraged. That's a good word. We walk around our, cell, our house, I told you last week, and we have this language. We don't hit it all the time, but we try. We just look at each other and say, good things are happening. Good things are happening. Good things are happening. Which is how we, we even say it to each other in passing. We just say it all the time. Good things are happening. God's on the throne. God's moving. The future's bright. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. You have to encourage yourself. There's so many forces in this world and so many forces in our, in our society that want to discourage you. Can I get a witness? You, ha- you do not have to look far for discouragement. You do not have to look far for negativity. You've got to open up your front door and you can find it right outside your front door. You have to search for and find the treasures of encouragement. You need to find things. This message, that's why we design our messages to try to encourage people, try to lift you, talk not down to you, but elevate you, call you out to who you are, call you forward, call you unto Jesus, give you hope. You need hope. Number five, keep moving forward. Say this with me. There's only one way, and it's forward. That's right. You can't go back, can you? I wish we could go back. And one thing, it's like I think we all, can I get like two rewind resets? That's all I need. For my whole life, I get two chances where I can rewind. That's it. I don't need, you know what I mean? Don't we all wish we had a rewind button? that we, you know, we don't have to use it all the time, but we don't have that. You can't go backwards. You can't stay where you are. You have to move forward. There's only one way, and it's forward. David said, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, though I stop in the valley of the shadow of death, though I move forward through the valley of the shadow. You, some of you are in a valley of the shadow of death. You, you feel it. People feel it at different times in our life. We feel like we're in this place where we can't get out of. We don't know our right hand from our left hand. We don't know what to do. And the Bible says, keep moving forward. Walk through that valley. Move through that valley. The Lord's with you. Philippians says this, not that I've already attained or have arrived at my goal, but I press towards the mark on lay hold of Christ as he took hold of me. He says, as Jesus has laid hold of me, I'm laying hold of him. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold. Paul's saying, I don't have it all together. But let me tell you one thing I got together and one thing I got that's gold. I forget what's behind and I strain and I reach towards what's ahead. I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forget the past. What's he say here? You've got to have a goal and a target, number one. If you want to move forward, you have to have a, car, a target and a goal. Did you know that? Most people can't move forward or won't move forward because they have no target or they have no goal. 
When you change your target and you increase the size of your target, your thinking changes. Try it. Try to increase your target. Try to get a target and say, that's what I'm going to do. That's where the Lord is leading me. This is the vision that's in my heart. And then multiply that vision and expand it and watch your thinking change. Your thinking will change in direct proportion to the target or the goal that you have. Most people have limited thinking because they have no target. No target. When you begin to think and you say, I want a marriage that looks like this. You, and all of a sudden you start thinking in terms of what that looks like. You start seeing the things that need to happen in order for that to look like. For that to look like, what that looks like. We start going, hey, we have a word upon us. And I feel like the Lord says to me, you're going to touch nations. This is crazy. I'll share with you a prophetic word. This is powerful. So, had this prophetic word over me. It's not about me. I wanted, I'd want to honor the prophetic. Several times, guys like, oh, you got keys, Kevin. You got keys. I heard that so many times. You got keys. You got keys. You got keys, Kevin. You got keys. Jesus has got keys. You know, giving you keys to these areas. And I'm like, okay. And the last guy that said it to me said, there, I see these keys over you. And he said, he called out a few of them. And he said, there's some I can't see, but, there, these are, but these are there. And I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, which one do you want to give me? Said, when you get a prophetic word, you're supposed to react to it. You don't go, oh, I got a word. Hallelujah. So there's keys over your life. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what key do you want to give me? And I literally, as I was meditating in the spirit, I was just, con- I was just communing with the Lord. I saw two hands with white gloves on it, hand me a key, a big key. And when he put it in my hands, I heard the word media. I didn't, that is not my, my at all, right? Media. And so I'm like, okay, media. And so there's just a whole process of all of this. And so we take this word that God is saying and we're like, okay, this is what you want. We are nowhere near that. But we need to change the goal and we need to change the thinking of what we're doing and we need to pursue media. Then there's another word that he told me and he goes, and I was asking the Lord, what do you want from us? And it didn't strike me until I was telling this story to someone. And I said, I saw two hands go forward. And he goes, I want this church to touch nations. And I saw two hands go forward and touch nations. And it didn't hit me that I saw white gloves on the two hands. The same white gloves that handed me the key to the media were the two same white gloves that touched the nations. What is he saying to me? Through this, you're going to do that. That's what he's saying to me. That's not saying it to me. He's saying it to our church, right? So I'm, I'm, it's not an, this isn't an individual thing. This is a corporate thing. But I ask God for his direction. He says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm giving you. Do, take this. Okay, what do I do with this? I don't know. Well, let's just start doing it. And, and from this, you're going to do that. You have to have a goal and a purpose. And when we changed the target and said, well, we need to reach our local community, that's not where we're targeting anymore. We, we want to reach our local community. We want to touch the nations. And you see what happens? Your target just gets 10x or 100x or whatever the language is, 50x. Now I don't know who's saying what. But when you, when you expand the line of your targeting, your thinking begins to change with the target that you have. Some people you can't move forward because you have no target. And I'm talking in different terms, but there are, terms, there are things in your life that you need a target for. You need a target for your future. You need to ask the Lord for a target for your future in order for you to move forward. Whatever that may be. And your thinking will change. You forget about your past. You strain in your reach, which means it requires effort from you. So you have to have a target. You have to forget your past. People are either this. Here's where we are. We have no goal. We're stuck in a moment lamenting our past. We're lamenting past mistakes. You can't change it. You can't change it. The only thing you can do with past mistakes is learn from them. That's it. We can't change the mistakes. We just can't. So we create a target. You have to move past your past, and you have to press towards that target. You have to strain. That's what the, literally what the word means. I strain for the goal that's in front of me. It requires effort. It requires effort. 
And David said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk through the valley. The Lord is with me, which is the word Adonai. It means benefactor. God is with you. He's your benefactor. He's your benefactor. You need to look to him. God says, not only am I your benefactor, I'm going to protect you. That's a beautiful thing. Move forward. Move through the valley. Keep going. Know that God is with you. He's with you. He's not with you because of the cologne you have on. He's with you because he cares for you. He's with you because he's determined to be with you. No matter what circumstances or situation you're in, God is with you. He's with you. You say, my kids are struggling. God is with you. I'm struggling in my job. God is with you. I'm struggling in my relationships. God is with you. He's with you. Mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. (laughs) Love that story. Gideon's eating grain, hiding out. Angel's like, mighty man of valor. (laughs) Gideon's like, who? Me? Yes, that's how God sees you. He's with you. Jesus says this, last part. God says, come unto me, all of you who are weary. We're talking about going from stressed to blessed. Rest for your souls. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the instructions. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We need rest for our souls. Stressful, chronic fatigue, all of the stuff that's on us all the time, we have to come and find these places of rest. And it's given to us. It says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here it is, come. If you want the rest that the Lord promises, the first thing you got to do is you got to come to Him. Right? You have to come to Him. Lord taught me as a very young believer to come to him all the time. I had an older pastor who would mentor me. And I told him, I said, I feel like I'm burdening Jesus. Because I was so needy. I was like, what about Bob? Anybody ever seen what about Bob? I need, I need, I need. It's it's a comedy. So put it on your bucket list. It's funny. It's clean. I need, I need. I felt like I was so needy. And this pastor said to me, he said, that's exactly where the Lord wants you. He wants you completely dependent upon him. That's what he told me. And changed my thinking about who God was. And that I have to come to him. My people do not come to me days without number. Jeremiah. You need to come to the Lord. You want rest? Come to him. Lord showed me a well with a bucket. And I would always cry out to him. And I'd be, Lord, I, I need help. I need help. I need help. He's like, Kevin, you have a well with a bucket. Put the bucket in the well. Start drawing water that I've given you. I've dug you a well. Begin to worship, become an adoration. Let the Spirit of God begin to move over you. You have a well, you know. You know how to drop it. You know how to get this. You know how to activate this. Start doing it. If you don't, if you don't have it, if your if your land is dry, it's because you want it to be. If you have no hope, it's because you choose it. It's not because God hasn't made provision for you. He has. There's a well for you. You need to get there. You don't feel like it. You need to hike. We do this here all the time. You need to high karate yourself. You need I'll give you another. I'm doing movie references today. I don't know if it must be summer. But um, Incredibles. Anybody seen Incredibles, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. We, uh, first Incredibles, right? Where she comes and she's crying. She's like, oh my gosh, my husband, Bob. My, and she's crying about her husband. And um, Edna Moulds, uh, the little, the little uh, hero maker, suit maker, she grabs a piece of paper, right? And she's, what she do? She smacks her. You are a lasty girl. Pull yourself together. And my wife was, she, I didn't catch it, but after that, my wife would be walking around. She'd be like, I am a lasty girl. I need to pull myself together. And we would be saying that. Some of us were Christians. We need to pull ourselves together, man. You need to high karate yourself. You are a son or a daughter of the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. The glory of the kingdom of heaven resides within you. Arise. Arise. 
Wake up. Draw from the water that is rightfully yours. Walk out in your inheritance. Begin to believe God and press God and move forward. So he says, come to me. He says, partner with me. Put my yoke upon you, which means partner with me. Come into agreement with me. Learn from me. In other words, do it my way. So Jesus is telling us how to get rest for our souls. He says, come, partner with me, make an agreement with me, and then do it the way I'm telling you to. And there'll be rest for your souls. So if you're a believer, my word to you is to keep going forward. But if you're not a believer, it's for those of you that are not Christians out there. This word is for you. It's time to start. You need to give yourself, you need to give your life to something or to someone that you cannot lose. You need to invest your life into something that's eternal. The whole purpose of these messages are to reveal Jesus to you in a living way. And if you've never given your life to Christ, today is that day. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are born sinners, which means we're born separated from Him. The Bible says that the wages of that sin is death or eternal separation. It means we can't do anything about that separation. But the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do. And the Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, we'll be saved. You say, what is saved means? Means forgiven, means restored, means repositioned. One of the aspects of salvation is the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. God comes to live inside of you. This is the thing that makes Christianity different than every other faith in the world. We have a living faith. We don't have a religion. We have a living faith. Christ lives in us. We don't understand it but it's part of what happens when we give our lives to him. And it's good. The Bible says old things have passed away. Behold. That's what happens when you get born again is it's behold. The glory of God comes into you. All things become new. Your heart begins to feel free. The forgiveness of the sin is off of your life. I've had guys tell me, man, I used to see nothing but concrete and heat. I said, what's different about you? And he says, I see colors now. I said, before Jesus, I never saw colors couldn't see any colors all i had was anger in my heart and other people tell me that they but said when you come to christ something changes the lord comes in you and your life shifts things become open you become adopted into the family of god you become a son or a daughter you become you, you're adopted with full rights of inheritance not just forgiven of sin but set in a path of destiny should you choose to follow it and if you're out there this morning and i know you are I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. And this isn't something that only you have to do. Every Christian has to come the same way. Every believer has to come with the prayer of salvation. We all come. We all come. I got born again the exact same way. I'm telling you how to get born again. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. We're going to say a prayer. And we're going to pray together. We pray here at Elevate as a family. And we want you to pray with us. If you're in a room full of people, pray with them. Pray with them. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter what people think of you. Jesus is caring for you. Jesus wants you. So let's pray together. Simple prayer to say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose again. Come on. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. Here we go. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.
We love you. God loves you. And uh, we'll see you next week. And so for all of you guys, let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Again, God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.